we've gone through the the, the basic plant hormones. Marker uh, here. Uh, we looked at auxin. Okay, auxin's primary function is uh, cell elongation. Okay. Um, now most plant growth elongation. Okay, so if you look at a root tip, which you should have done in lab. down here. Give it the nurse down. And then if you look at the cells up in this area, they're kind of in, in a line. So they're fairly small. And as you go up, farther up, and look at them up here, they look sort of like this. Okay, this is referred to as cell elongation. In other words, most of the growth, what pushes this through the dirt is the cells taking in water and getting longer, and that's the force that pushes the, the root through the dirt. Okay, now, that process of elongation is controlled by auxin. And auxin is secreted in the, usually in the root, and so there, its highest concentration is in the root. Normally, I mean that's where we normally be, uh, and, and so that's its number one function. Okay. Now there, are, most of these it turns out have uh, alternative functions besides that. Uh, it uh, turns out that it's also uh, it's basically secreted by the uh, uh, the apical meristems is, is where it's secreted from, and so if I have a, a plant growing up out of it, okay? Oxen produced here, produced down the stem, and one of its other functions is that if I have a little big branch here and one coming out of here, right here in the axle, you'll have a bud. These are lateral buds, okay? And the oxen coming from here inhibits these buds, so they just stay there as buds, they don't grow. The closer they are to the top, the more they are inhibited. And so then down farther, you would maybe start to get some, some growth. And so as this plant grows up, the buds farther down are released from that inhibition and you start getting branches. Okay? That's why most plants have that kind of pyramid you know, shape uh, that, that you see. That's why a Christmas tree looks the way it does, Okay, at least the ideal ones. Um, and so that continues now. This is a controlled oxen is what is controlling it. Okay. Um, this is referred to, uh, well, uh, as, uh, they have it, uh, it's referred to as apical dominance. So if you want branches on this thing, what you do is you come over and you hack off the apical meristem, you release the branches from that inhibition, and you start getting branches going out. So if you're growing a hedge and you want it to be thick, you periodically go in and you trim the tips and you'll get more branches and you'll get a thicker hedge. So you can use this, you know, and in fact, uh, 
landscapers use this as a way of, of uh, controlling the growth of the plant. Uh, if you look at people who do bonsai plants, you know, the little trees that are like 100 years old and they're about this big, they prune those regularly by manipulating which buds they leave on and which ones they remove and manipulate the growth of the, of the plant that way, okay? So you can manipulate the plant by uh, knowing what the different hormones do, and, and we certainly do that, okay? Now, if uh, this is naturally out in the wild is cut off, these two buds will start to grow, and usually one of these will become the dominant apical meristem again. And then it will continue to grow. So later on, when you look at the, the, uh, the stem of this plant, it will come up and it will draw them and it will go on up. And if you look around at trees, you know, now that the leaves are gone, you'll, you'll see trees that are like that. You know, something has happened. Maybe it was insects, maybe it was wind damage, you know, storm damage, any number of things that might have caused that. Okay, so that's awesome. Okay. Cell elongation is the primary thing that it's involved in. Okay, now, cytokinin is another plant hormone. Okay, cytokinins stimulate cell division. So, down here in this apical meristem, you're going to have cell division going on, and cytokinin stimulates cell division. Not elongation, okay, that's a different hormone. Cytokinin stimulates the cell division. So anywhere on the plant where there's any rapid cell division occurring, whether it's at the tips of branches or, or at the tips of roots, or where there's a fruit developing and there's a lot of cell division going on, cytokinin is the, the hormone that is generally uh, governing that, so cell division. Um, it's also what will stimulate the growth of lateral buds when they're released from the oxymesa apical bound, which of course is cell division. Okay, that's what has to happen there. Okay, so so they will they will do that. Uh, look at gibberellins briefly. Gibberellin is uh, stimulates also stimulates shoot elongation, not the roots, but the shoots. Now, um, there are many plants uh, that are well. One type of plant is a biennial plant. They live for two years. Okay, the first year they generally have leaves very low, close to the ground. Uh, they overwinter, and then the next year the stem shoots up. They form flowers and set seeds. Okay, that's their, and then they die. Okay, that's their typical mode of growth. Okay, it's gibberellin that stimulates that rapid shoot growth, okay, or shoot elongation. The name comes from uh, Japanese. Uh, it uh, had, uh, they, they were investigating a disease of rice where what would happen is some of the rice plants would grow really tall and then they would set seeds, and, you know, the rice at the top, but then they were too tall and they would get top heavy and they'd fall over. 
and then you lose the harvesting. You can't harvest them when they fall over easily like that. And, and so that's what they were researching. And what they found was that there was a fungus that was on the plant that secreted a substance that mimicked the plant hormone, causing nose to, to grow. Okay. Uh, that's how that was discovered. Uh, and we also mentioned that uh, we can use this to stimulate uh, fruit growth because if you make the stem longer, uh, you can get more, more like in grapes, you got more, more fruit. Okay, ethylene is primarily a fruit ripening which we manipulate all the time now uh, to have fruit ripe when we want it to be ripe. So you can store fruit in a, in a cool environment and make sure there is no ethylene present. Usually what they do is they add uh, nitrogen gas in. Uh, and uh, then when they want to be, take a section of it and get it ready to send to market, they will add ethylene. And then they'll you know, regularly check the fruit. And when it's ripe, then, they'll, then off it goes to market. Okay. Now plants do this naturally. Okay. Uh, it also is, is what stimulates uh, the leaves, leaf shedding, which again makes a little bit of sense because normally the fruit ripens at about the time that they're, they're going to drop lose leaves at a similar time period. And then abscisic acid. Spelled right. Uh, where is it here? Okay. Uh, abscisic acid inhibits shoot growth. Okay. So it causes leaf abscission. Where leaves are attached to the branch, there's a narrow area of cells, and this hormone causes those cells to degenerate, and then the leaves break off and fall. Okay, uh, so it does that. Uh, this is also the hormone that is most seeds have this in them, and this hormone uh, inhibits germination of the seed. Now, uh, many of these require some kind of environmental thing before they will allow germination. What you're doing is getting rid of the abscisic acid, but delay germination. Uh, sometimes it's cold. Some seeds have to be exposed to, to very cold temperatures for a period of time or they won't germinate. Um, other seeds uh, need to have, particularly in the deserts, uh, where they don't get quite so much cold, there has to be a certain amount of rainfall that will wash the abscisic acid off the seed. Uh, and this is how they make sure that they don't germinate when there's not enough moisture to support them. Okay, if you don't get a heavy enough rain, you don't get enough to wash it off and it won't germinate, it'll wait. Okay? There are seeds in the desert that will wait for years, literally years, before germinating. Because you may go years with no rain in certain areas. When it does rain, at least in, 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 here in the United States, out in the desert in the west, when it does rain in an area, 
plants come up all over the place, they flower, and they have to do it quickly because there's probably going to be one rain and it's not going to rain again. Uh, and they flower and set seed and then done. And then they all die and then you wait till it rains again. Uh, it also stimulates closing stomata. So in some ways, it's considered to be a stress hormone. When plants are under stress, they drop the leaves, they uh, close their stomata, which may make them wilt eventually, uh, so it's kind of a stress hormone. So, so these are the five basic plant hormones. They're all in your text. Uh, it goes over each one of them. Uh, and we went through them rather quickly last time, so I wanted to go back over them again today. All right, now, there's another whole set of things that have to do with plants called tropisms. Tropisms are movement. Plants move. Plants have movement. I mean, they don't get them walk around, okay, clearly. But plants can bend or grow in a particular way in response to environmental uh, uh, in indication, environmental uh, cues, okay? And so we're gonna look at what are referred to as, as uh, tropisms. And each of them is named basically for what is the environmental stimulus that triggers that particular tropism. So the first one is phototropism. Which of course is plant growth in response to light. Plants grow toward light. Well, parts of them do. Or sometimes away from light. Mostly toward, okay? So if you put a plant in, uh, near the window, and uh, you get sunlight in that window, we, people say, well, it bends toward the light. It's really not bending, it's actually growing in that direction, okay? The light stimulates the production of oxen in, the, in that part of the stem, and the oxen is stimulated on the side of the stem away from the light. That side gets longer, the other side doesn't, causing the stem to bend toward the light. Okay, so, um, basically, uh, if you have a seedling coming up, well, when you plant seeds, uh, well, we'll get into that one in just a minute. When the seedling comes up, uh, if you put a light source over here, what will happen in the seedling is this will stimulate the production of oxen over here and cell elongation will occur. It will inhibit oxen on this side. You do not get cell elongation, and so what you get is bending of the stem toward of the stem so that it is going toward the light. It's actually growing toward the light. It's not just, I mean, it's bending, but it's an actual growth process. And so this is uh, referred to as phototropism. Uh, so the oxen accumulates on the side of the stem away from the sun, or the light source. Um, 
I, I do have some more details, but I'm more concerned that you just understand what the phototropism is. Uh, basically, the uh, presence of the auxin uh, causes the cell to transport hydrogen ions on that side. This weakens the cell wall on that side, allowing it to more easily react on that side. But basically, phototropism is a, a growth of a plant in response to a light source. So that's a pretty common process in plants. It also regulates seed germination. Okay, um, we have a couple of chemicals in plants. Okay, so we're looking at seed seed germination. Okay, so down here here's the dirt. Down here's my my little seed. If you've ever planted seeds from the garden, they always tell you don't plant them too deep, plant them a certain distance uh, below the surface. Usually it's a matter of you know, a half an inch or maybe an inch, but no, no deeper. Okay, And the reason is that light will some light will filter through that. The cells will recognize that. And there's a type of chemical called phytochrome. And in response to red light, which basically you get during full sunlight, um, it converts to a different form, to an active, okay, so red light, active phytochrome requires red light. Okay. And, and so that you get uh, a change, and this then enters the nucleus and it alters which genes are transcribed. And in this case, it will stimulate germination of the seed. So if you plant your poor little seed too deeply, it'll never accumulate enough light to get started. Okay. So that's, that's and so most seeds out in the real world out there, um, you know, they're just kind of scattered all over. They're not buried by anything. They're just, uh, just under the loose leaf litter and maybe a little bit of soil. Uh, they're exposed to light. And, and so this causes the production of the proteins. Um, if you keep the seed in the dark, it will not germinate for a long time. And the reason is that in, in the dark, this gets converted back to that. Therefore, there's nothing to cause it to, to germinate. So, light has, and this is not a surprise to anybody in here that light has an effect on plant growth. You may not understand how it does that. This also determines when flowers are going to um, are going to open, when plants are going to bloom. Um, most plants are either. Uh, well, we call them long day or short day plants. This is not really accurate, but it's the term. Short day plants and then long day. Short day plants, they won't flower in the spring because they're not ready yet, okay? Then once you pass the longest day of the year and the days get shorter and shorter and shorter, there'll be a threshold. When we pass that threshold, that will be their signal to flower. And they'll flower sometime, you know, August, September, October, depending on what that threshold is for that particular plant. So you can buy plants that, uh, like camellias, 
Uh, camellias are a common plant flowering shrub around a lot of places. And you can get varieties that are early flowering, that they flower, uh, you know, uh, they, well, some that are late flowering, some won't flower until December. Well, one in our yard flowers in December every year, okay? Uh, because that's the particular bit where its threshold is, is in the short. Okay? Uh, long, day, or, uh, long day plants are usually going to flower in the spring or midsummer. As the days get longer and longer and longer, they will pass their threshold. Now, the reason I say this is not entirely accurate is that what they're actually measuring is hours of darkness. We now know that they're not really measuring this. Long day plants are really short night plants. And short day plants are really long night plants. Because what they're measuring, using the phytochrome, they're measuring during the day uh, the sunlight is producing this active chemical. Then at night, there's something called far red light that is removing it back. And they have, and they will flower when the amount of phytochrome that accumulates reaches the particular threshold. And so all different plants. Uh, now, there are some plants that will flower anytime. Okay, I have dandelions flowering in my yard already. Okay, dandelions don't care. They flower anytime at all. They're neither... They're day neutral, they could care less. And there are a, a lot of weeds, are, what we call weeds, uh, are like that. Uh, weeds are usually adapted to uh, damaged areas, or areas, disturbed areas. They grow rapidly, they, set, they flower, they set seed, uh, and that's why they're there. Uh, uh, weeds are kind of a, a misnomer in a way, not a good name. Uh, most people, weeds are anything growing where you don't want it. That's a weed. Um, they're just plants. I mean, they're just regular old plants. But they're adapted to those disturbed areas, and so they tend to come up in areas that you've just cleared, and, you know, area that maybe you planted certain things and you want certain flowers to grow there, you're going to get weeds. Just why. There's no way around it. Because that's what they do. That's what they're adapted for. Okay. Alright, so we have these types of arrangements. And so, uh, Basically, what's going on is that uh, during the day, the sunlight is producing the uh, uh, the, uh, the uh, active form, and there's a critical night length. And what we have, the reason we now know that it's night, is because if I have a short day plant, and I get it to the time it would normally, when the nights are getting longer. If I interrupt that night with a flash of light, they will not flower at that point because I've interrupted that night with, with a flash of light. And it's going to be just a momentary flash. Thunderstorms must play hell with the plants. Okay, uh, you know, that kind of thing. Especially where they have a lot of thunderstorms. That, that, that would have some effect on uh, Artificial lighting effects. They're looking for long nights, and if the lights are on all night long, they ain't getting any long nights. So they, those kind of plants are generally not going to flower well in that environment. Okay, so that's another effect of light. So light affects the direction of growth of plants. It affects germination. It affects flowering, when they flower, at least most. Day-neutral plants, like I said, they don't care. They just grow, and as soon as they get enough nutrients to get a certain size, they're going to they're going to flower. 
dandelions are the perfect example. I mean, I've seen dandelions flowering around here in February. You get a little warm spell, you know, in a protected corner, you'll see a dandelion with flower on it. They're really not picky. Okay, uh, plants also respond to touch and to gravity. All right, so how does, how does that work? Okay, this is another tropism. It's referred to in your text as gravitropism. I've also seen it in other texts referred to as geotropism. Uh, geotropism. Uh, but basically, it's a response of the plant to gravity. So um, when you go and plant seeds out there, um, if you look at your seeds, there's not a top and bottom marked on them, okay? You don't know what's the top, what's the bottom. You just put them in the ground. So how does that shoot go up and the roots go down? How does that happen? Well, they sense gravity. Shoots are negatively gravitropic because they'll grow upwards. That's where she's with gravity. The roots are positively gravitropic because they're going to grow down. And it all has to do with uh, oxen again. At least the bending part has to do with oxen. Uh, in the uh, in, in their the roots especially, but also in the uh, beginning stems. Because the root, let's say the root, you planted your seed, the root comes out this way. Would you agree? Inside the cell, let me make this a little bigger, are little particles of like calcium carbonate. Well, they respond to gravity. They're like little bits of you know, rock. I mean, they're really tiny. But they will respond to gravity. And if gravity is down this way, these guys are going to migrate to this side of the root. This will cause more oxen up here, less oxen up here. This side elongates, this side does not, the root bends and grows downward. Now, as it's growing down, as if it varies to either side, the same process will keep it going in the direction it needs to go. And so roots will go down if they hit a rock. Obviously, they can't go down, they'll go around. But as soon as they're past the rock, they'll go head back down again. Gravitropism, it's a response to gravity. And then the stems are, are the opposite. The stems grow upwards in response to gravity. So you don't have to worry about which side of the seed is the top and which is the bottom when you plant a seed. If the, if the little stem comes out on the bottom of the seed where you plant it, it's just gonna fall around and go upwards in response to gravity. Okay, they also respond to touch uh, this is referred to as thigmotropism. Okay, around here, we have a lot of vines. If you go out in the woods, and I don't know how many of you have out in the woods, but we have a lot of vines. Uh, probably one of the ones that you do not want to run into are the briars, the green briars. Uh, nasty little thorns all over them. Um, but if you look at them closely, you'll find that you have the stem, but there'll be little areas that come off and are usually kind of coiled. These are called tendrils. They, 
they kind of grow off, and, and really when you have time-lapse photography, they come out and they, and they, I can't really draw it, they kind of wave around. And if they contact something, let's say this thing is waving around and it contacts a branch, it will immediately begin to coil around it. And that's because vines, uh, you know, large plants have to invest in a trunk to get up high, to get the light. Vines say, no, I'm not bothering with all that. I'm just going to hang on the guys that did invest in all that. Okay, I'm going to go for, I'm going to look for the free lunch here and just hang on to them. And, and we have quite a few vines around here in, in Virginia. If you find an area that has not been disturbed for a while, where there's a road through and right at the edge of that road and it's wooded, it'll look really thick with vines hanging all over you get through that initial layer and get into the shade underneath that woods, they're not going to be very many vines. They usually need light because they're looking for light. That's what they're after. Plants are competing for light all the time. And however they can get the light. Okay? There are uh, vines in the tropics that grow up and, and, and they're, they're called strangler figs. They grow up and they have multiple stems that grow up around a tree. They're hanging onto it, getting up. But then this tree can no longer grow because it's got it surrounded and the tree dies. And the fig now has enough branches that it can stand up there. Plants are lots of ways that they get through things. So thigmotropism is a response to touch. If you ever have grown garden peas, uh, pole beans. They do the same thing. You have to put a pole there because, and that's what they're going to do. They're going to wrap their tendrils around that pole and hold themselves up. Uh, grapes do that. Okay, and like one other thing then about plants, like any living thing, they do get old. And we have a time in their life that we refer to as senescence. This is their old age. Um, things that kind of happen. Uh, this, uh, th these are only happens in plants that grow for multiple years. Okay, because out there you have annual plants. Um, if you planted, uh, let's say, pansies in your yard, or somebody around you did, they're going to come up, they're going to flower, and then they're going to die. They're done. One year. Uh, okay, if they come up the next year, it's because the seeds fell, and those will come up again next year, maybe. Right? Uh, petunias are like that. You know, things that people typically plant along borders and that get they they don't get very large. They grow pretty rapidly. You get flowers quickly, uh, and then they're done. That's an annual plant. I mentioned biennial plants. They live for two years. Okay, uh, usually a little rosette on the bot down low on the ground the first year. The next year, they'll rapidly put up a tall stem, flower, seed, done. Then we have perennial plants. They come up every year, the gardener's friend, okay? Because you don't have to replant them every year. They're going to come up each year, okay? Now, some of them die back to the ground, and they usually have an underground bulb or a thick root system, and then the next year they'll grow from that again. Others have a permanent above-ground portion, okay? And that in lab, you looked at woody 
know, at the beginnings of a woody plant. You looked at a, should have looked at a three-year-old woody stem. You can see the tree rings, okay? They're producing new xylem every year. The wood is made of xylem, okay? And that accumulates and they get bigger and bigger and bigger around, okay? They're, that's a, a woody plant. Basically, these are trees and shrubs, okay? Well, obviously, we have bunches of those around here. It's only in the perennial plants that we work that senescence occurs. Uh, and uh, generally speaking, uh, as they get older, uh, they're no longer able to, uh, you know, the, the xylem tubes, some of them get blocked and you know, don't function as well. And eventually they get to where they can't transmit enough water all the way to the top. And what you'll see in a tall tree when it's beginning to senesce is when it leaves out in the spring, it won't be a full leafiness up at the top. You'll see some branches are leafed out, others are not. It just is no longer able to support the, and then it's going to be slowly downhill from there for that plant. And it's going to eventually, you know, eventually they die. Uh, now trees can live for a long time. There are bristlecone pine trees that have been documented as having been alive for over a thousand years. Uh, they grow very, very slowly. Uh, a thousand year old bristlecone pine is probably maybe five feet tall, something like that. They live in really harsh environments. They grow very slowly, okay? But you know, some plants can be quite old. Okay, and then uh, obviously during the winter, uh, they go, the plants become dormant. Okay, so we have dormancy is another thing that can happen for plants. Now, around here, winter is kind of a halfway winter. Uh, I mean, we get a few cold days and occasionally some snow, but uh, it's barely winter. If you go farther north, you get into areas where it's really cold, okay? Uh, where it's well below zero during the winter, you get the brown freezes. Plants cannot grow in those environments, okay? So, but there's lots of plants there. There's lots of perennial plants there. And what they do is they go dormant during that time period. They reduce their metabolic activity. They drop their leaves. Uh, you know, they reduce all their requirements for water. They've stored uh, starch for the next year's growth, uh, and but they're in a period of dormancy, okay? and they survive through the winter. And then in the spring, as it starts to get warm, they start to leaf out. The, the, uh, the stored uh, sugars are sent back up the, the stem to support the leaf growth, which is what's happening around here right now. Some of the, the trees, uh, a few of them, not too many of them. Uh, mostly it's shrubby things right now that are leaking out, but I have seen some uh, dogwoods leaking out already. Uh, and, beginning to do that. and so that's all based on what they have stored from last year's growth. They weren't doing any photosynthesis all winter, there were no leaves. Now they do photosynthesis way. They had to store enough nutrients. Okay, so again, as a tree gets older, one of the, one of the things that may start happening to it is it can't support, it can't produce enough. Uh, stored food to support the entire tree for the next spring. Okay. It's like anything else, they gradually get older. Uh, of course, they have a lot of pests to deal with, too. Not the least of which is us. Uh, the, uh, it's always bought that bothers me right now when I, I don't drive 64 anymore, and I absolutely have to. But when I go down to Hampton on 64, and I see it, you know, tearing out all of those trees and the median along there. Just, I mean, I know they have 
not a lot of other choices at this point. But this really bothered me to see them just bulldoze the trees over and rip them out of the ground. I mean, those are living things. Those have been there a long time. And we just knock them down like they're just nothing. They're living things. All right, so um, basically, this covers most of the material uh, on plants that I had left to go, to go over. Uh, on, uh, so <clears throat> the, the exam, uh, you have all the questions. The exam is on Monday. Uh, it covers the fungi. Okay, make sure you know what the groups of fungi are and how they're sorted into groups. Okay, well, that's one of the questions. I mean, you'll read the questions. You'll know what you need to know. But you're going to need to spend time going over those. You, you need to be spending the, you know, probably eight to ten hours preparing those questions if you really want to do well, because you don't know which ones are going to be on the exam, which is kind of the whole point. You have to learn them all. If you learn them all, I'm happy. I don't, you know, I don't mind giving you the questions ahead of time. Uh, you need to spend the time because uh, when it's when you have the questions ahead of time, you need to provide. You know, some of them will say, uh, you know, like when I ask you to support a core concept in detail, I want you to, you know, like some structure and function is one that a lot of people use because it's relatively easy. Um, what structures are you talking about? What functions do those do? How does the structure affect their function? Okay, so you could talk about xylem. Way you know, the structure of the xylem in the plant, how that supports what it has to do. I mean, th that's just an example, okay? Um, but make sure that you have some details available. Okay? okay, then we went through animals. You need to know the basic things that we use to divide animals into phyla, okay? Remember, we started off with do they have tissues or not? Do they, uh, what kind of uh, uh, symmetry do they have? Are they radial or are they bilateral? And then we looked at uh, whether or not they have uh, uh, the next thing up. Uh, well, we did talk about what kind of digestive system. Do they have a complete digestive system or incomplete? Do they have a coelom or no coelom? Because the phylums had no coelom, but everybody else above them does. Uh, are they protostomes or are they deuterostomes? And what does that mean? Okay. Okay. And those are the kinds of things that we use to divide animals into the different groups. And then, of course, when you get down to collective, beyond that, you look at things like, yeah, well, birds have feathers and uh, reptiles have scaly skin that helps protect them. And uh, bony fish have bones, cartilaginous uh, fish have cartilage. I mean, those, some have jaws and some do not. You know, those are the things we use. So there's a figure 24.2 text that you could take a look at. It just kind of summarizes a lot of that right there. But when you use those terms, you need to give me some indication that you know what they mean. It's really easy to throw the terms around and have absolutely no idea what you're talking about. Okay. Uh, I want to know that you know what those terms mean. Okay. So we looked at, at animals. Uh, and we looked through the classes of vertebrates. Just, uh, again, uh, for both, uh, for vertebrates, just like we did with plants, we talked about transition from water to land. For vertebrates, we looked at that transition from water to land. Talked about went through that. Okay, it's um, another topic that you should be aware of. Uh, when we get into the plant chapters, uh, we did the, the two chapters. One, the, the first one was on plant nutrition and plant and movement of materials and plants. Make sure you understand how stuff moves through the xylem. What makes it move? How does it move in the phloem? What makes it move? How does that work? You know, be able to explain. 
step by step what's going on. Right? That's what science is about, it's about detail. Details matter in the sciences. <coughs> right? So, core concepts are important, but they mean nothing if you don't have some details to support them. So, so we, we went, but we went through that to what else was in that chapter. Um, we talked a little bit about soils. I, I, I don't get too deeply into the soil part. And then we got into the uh, plant um, uh, reproduction. Make sure you know the, you know how flowers are developed. What is it? You know, do you know the four worlds? I think there's a question that asks about that. Like what what does each one produce in the flower? What is the male part of the flower? What's the female part of the flower? How do they then if you get together? You know, now it's about pollination. Pollination and fertilization, two separate things. Okay. If we ask about, uh, this happens in my online class sometimes, uh, the question, uh, that people will get confused between seeds and fruit and, and, and pollination. And they'll say, well, fruits have to do with pollination. No. If there's no pollination, there don't be no fruits. Okay? Pollination has to come first, get fertilization, then you're going to get development of seeds and a fruit. Okay? The fruit comes last. Okay? Make sure you understand that sequence. That's how that works. Okay. Uh, and then we went over the plant hormones and and the trophosomes to make sure you know those. Okay. And then the sample response. Um, I don't need to keep you for the last two minutes today unless you specifically uh, have some questions. I'd be happy to answer questions. We've covered everything we need to cover. I would start normally on the next chapter, but since that's not working. So uh, we'll have an exam on Monday. On uh, next Wednesday, we're going to do the immune system, and we'll talk about what you need to do for selecting another system uh, to be able to explain on a take-home exam. So after we do the immune system, we'll have a take-home exam, which will cover the immune system in some detail. And then you, there will be a question on there, or maybe two, where you will take whatever system you've decided you're interested in, and you will explain to me things about that. Anatomy, what does it, what does it do, how does it work? Uh, so if you choose the nervous system, you need to be able to say, you know, how do nerves send messages? How does that happen? If you choose the digestive system, you know, how does stuff move through? What goes on in the different parts of the digestive system? If you choose uh, excretory, what, what's the structure of kidneys? How do they work? You know, so we'll talk about that. But you get to choose what you might, if you want to do reproductive system, whatever system you're in. Or one that you need. I don't care. All right. All right. Um, I'll see you. Uh, just one question: Is this more useful to you than when I use the slides? Yes. Uh, some like the slides. You like the pictures. But some people would rather. Okay. That's it. We can't uh, Yeah. Some of the instructors are going back. Saying, you know, the slides are they're not happening. I do. Well, one of our complaints to the college has been now for two years, the fact that we can't show the slide and do this at the same time. And we, it's 
that, you know, this is a stupid system. Mutants is really good because it's, they can do it and then they write on the board. Yes, that's exactly what I would like to have. Uh, or I would be happy with just a whiteboard that was high enough for the projector to display on, and then I can write on the whiteboard. I mean, that's funny, but they don't. Tickets if you go to those yeah, places. oh yeah, that's the best <laughs> down there. But they, uh, I noticed yesterday, I was driving home, and I noticed Wall Street. As I was going, it's like you see like these purple yeah. patches, and they kind of peter off, and then they, they come back in the purple patches. They don't look plain. No, they're they're wild. They're, they're referred to as red buds. I believe that's what people locally refer to. In my head, all I could think was, you know, what's happening? Yeah. These big trucks are pulling the pollen down the interstate. Yeah. Well, there's that, and the, the seeds are probably being dropped by birds somewhere, and some places they get enough light to grow, other places they don't. Uh, it's just... um, summer labs, or summer uh, courses. Yes. I have to take, debating right now, going to, trying to get into a year instead of winter, there. but I need... I need two candles yeah, for some of these later, but I also need my, my physiology. Oh, I found... <laughs> so we do them in the summer. I found a lab, but I was I haven't seen the lecture. Oh, yeah, there are lectures, too. There would be 141, and then be, the other one would be 141L. Okay. Uh, and they're eight weeks long. Right. Um, now, if you are really brave and plan to do absolutely nothing else with your life in the summer, uh, okay. which is not an option for most people. <laughs> Down in Hampton, we teach it in five weeks. You take one, you take the first half in the first five weeks, the second half in the other five weeks. But boy, you better not be doing anything else to That's survive that. Take calculus in, I'm taking calculus in the summer at the same time. Okay. Because in the fall, I'm taking, I've also got to take physics, two physics. Okay. Um, yeah, we do offer them, and they should be on there. If you can't find okay. it, let me know. I saw uh, priority registration was getting ready to open. Yeah. I wanted to double check. Yes, there should be both lecture and lab here at at uh, at HT. Okay. Either um, one, Hampton or here. I just I, okay. I don't mind going there are more of them in Hampton than right. here, simply because there's well, there's more students down there. Which is strange because the labs here are much nicer. Yeah. I love the labs here. I, we just started our pig dance lecture today. I, I, like my lab last year, I had a Kershaw. She's great, but that lab was just kind of Hastings, I think it was. Yeah, they're dreary. Yeah, they're dreary. Yeah. But here, it's like everything's like. Yeah. It's like an old high school. That's what uh, that's what it reminds me of. You know? Nice big butcher block or you know nice top tables. 
Now, the, 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 the arrangement of things in the lab is the same as up here, but the rooms are smaller, and you have that low ceiling. And the low ceiling just makes everything, you know, it's probably, it's higher ceilings make a huge difference. Yeah, it just seems bigger. Yeah, and it's brighter here. Yeah. It's much brighter. So, you, I guess my big question is, for anatomy, 